Today's scripture comes from the letter to Titus, chapter 3, verses 3 through 7. At one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that, having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. This is the word of God. Thank you, Kristen. Um, It's no surprise to you guys that I really love movies. I'm a movie fan, and um, I, I think it's just because I love a good story. All right, I just love good stories. So that's why I love Star Wars. I love... Um, I love the Marvel movies. You know, they're just really, really good stories. I love Lord of the Rings, um, The Hobbit, all that, just good stories. Bad Boys. Um, <laughs> that was a joke. Um, the, the, you know, and what we're doing here isn't just kind of doing church as usual or uh, just kind of like trying to be religious together. Really, we believe that the Christian story is, is the story. And it's not just a story, but that it's actually the story that's true. And it's actually the story that we actually are living under, even if we might not believe it, or even if we might think that we're living under another story. Um, we, are, we believe as Christ followers that there is a, there's a story of the Christian faith that is true and that we're living under. And um, the thing is, is there's tons of other competing stories. There's tons of other different kinds of stories that are told to us. Um, and it can be confusing, and there are stories that tell us about, you know, why, why this crazy universe is the way that it is, and why we are the way that we are, and why we experience the world the way that we do. And there's tons of different competing stories. And, you know, the question that every thoughtful person is asking is, is, is this correct? You know, like, well, which one is correct, and which one am I living under? And uh, it can be confusing. It can be really confusing. My wife and I were, were um, the kids had, had gone to bed, and we were watching a, a movie on Netflix called uh, A Marriage Story. It's with, um, it's with Adam Driver and Scarlett Johansson. And we were watching it, and one of my boys got up to, uh, to get a glass of water or something, and he comes out, and he looks at the screen, and he's like, wait a minute, Kylo Ren married, married Black Widow? <laughs> and no joke, he's like, the world is so confusing. <laughs> I love it. It's confusing. It totally is. I can understand. That would be very confusing to come out and see uh, Kylo Ren and, and Black Widow. Um, but, uh, you know, every person, every person has to thoughtfully think through, okay, what story is actually true and what story are we living in? Um, Paul is right, it writes to a group of people in, uh, in Galatia. It's in our New Testament. It's Galatians. And that letter, he talks to them about, hey, don't be deceived. Don't believe other gospels that might be being preached. And it might sound like a weird thing to think that there's these like other gospel messages being preached, but Paul has to warn them, be careful. There's other versions of the story and other gospels that can like flood in and it can be really confusing to know which one, uh, which one is which. And there was a book that I read a long time ago by a guy named William Irvine. He's sort of like in his stoic philosophy sort of a book. And he had this, he had this quote and he had this word that that I think about sometimes when it comes to like living our lives and potentially living in the wrong story and not living and understanding the right story. And here's what he says. He says this, what do you want out of life? He says, you might answer the question by saying that you want a caring spouse, a good job, and a nice house. But these are really just some of the things that you want in life. In asking what you want out of life, I am asking the question in its broadest sense. 
I am asking not for the goals you form as you go about your daily activities, but for your grand goal in living. In other words, of the things in life you might pursue, which is the thing, the thing you believe to be most valuable? Many people will have trouble naming this goal. They know what they want minute by minute or even decade by decade during their life, but they've never paused to consider their grand goal in living. It is perhaps understandable that they haven't. Our culture doesn't encourage people to think about such things. Indeed, it provides them with an endless stream of distractions so they won't ever have to. But a grand goal in living is the first component of a philosophy of life. This means that if you lack a grand goal in living, you lack a coherent philosophy of life. And why is it important to have such a philosophy? Because without one, and here's this word that he says, there is a danger that you will mislive. That word's just always stuck with me. That, you have, that there's a danger that we might mislive. That despite all your activity, despite all the pleasant diversions you might have enjoyed while alive, you will end up living a bad life. There is, in other words, a danger that when you were on your deathbed, you will look back and realize that you wasted your one chance at living. Instead of spending your life pursuing something genuinely valuable, you squandered it because you allowed yourself to be distracted by the various baubles life has to offer. And that word just kind of sticks with me, to mislive. How tragic would that be, right? How tragic would it be to, to near the end of your life and, and look back and really realize that, that the things that you did, the things that you pursued, that they, they weren't necessarily bad things, but they weren't ultimate things. And how tragic would it be to get to the end and feel like that I, I wasted, that's a little haunting, isn't it? To, to, that you wasted your one chance of living. Wow. Um, the problem is that there's so many different stories that promise us that you won't mislive your life if you live this way. There's tons of different. In fact, I have a slide. The point of the slide isn't for us to spend a lot of time on it because there's tiny words on the slide. Um, but I, I put it up here just because, you know, we could go through all sorts of different stories that the world puts in front of us from Buddha to Islam, Marx and Freud and power, pleasure, individualism, religion. And each one would have a symptom, meaning like, you know, what you feel to be wrong in the world. And then each one would kind of have a diagnosis of what like the deepest problem actually is that resides in humanity. And then it would, ha it would offer a, some sort of a cure or a solution. And then it would all kind of culminate in like, what, would, you know, what, do we, what does this world actually need for, or, in order for it to be right again? And every, there's so many different stories out there that, that, just, that spin just a different sort of story about what story we live under. Um, and I feel like I've kind of boiled it down to four main big ones. Um, that I just want to share with you today. It's important that we kind of understand like all the different, the main big stories that our culture says, hey, this is, this is what makes life worth living and this is how you won't mislive. Here's four of them. The first one is this, is the gospel of naturalism. The gospel, the gospel of naturalism, which basically says uh, scientific discovery plus acceptance of that discovery minus superstitious beliefs equals meaning, equals meaning. So as this story goes, the story goes that, you know, this, there's nothing supernatural in this world. Everything is explainable by science because you can observe it. Um, we are not created, but we're evolved people from some sort of, you know, event that happened millions of years ago. And, you know, humans finally came onto the scene much later and, you know, we sort of evolved and it happened by chance and it was like a really great lucky thing that happened. But here we are on this crazy planet in the middle of this crazy universe that doesn't really know we exist or frankly care that we exist. 
And hum early humans had to come up with like sort of religious beliefs to explain why the sun was going through the sky. And it's because they didn't understand science yet. So that's where religion came from. But now we're in a day where we understand all of that stuff is just, you know, hokey religion. And what we have now is we, we, given enough time, science will be able to explain everything that happens around us. And so as this story goes, if we just discover enough and if we just come to grips with the fact that the universe doesn't care and that we're just here on this planet, then what that means, and minus the superstition, then that means that what we have to do is we just have to sort of figure out our own ways of making life here on this planet, this short time, this short meaningless time that we have. We just have to find a way to just squeeze some meaning out of the things that we have, even though none of it will matter in the end. That's encouraging, isn't it? That's, that's gospel number A. Gospel number B is this, is uh, the gospel of postmodernism, which uh, means suspicion um, of any sort of truth claim plus individual discovery minus any kind of authority, and that equals authenticity and expression. So postmodernism, the best way to describe postmodernism is, is what I would call the suspicion of all truth claims. And I can't, don't have time to go into it this morning because it's kind of like a whole other sermon. But basically... Um, you know, people thought, people thought, you know, like, man, this world would be so much better um, if people didn't assert their truth claims over, over other people. And it's because one of the things that happened in this last century is World War I happened, and it was because some people asserted their story over everybody else, and they said, you know, the world said, we're not going to let that happen again. And then World War II happened, and the same thing happened. And we're, we're not going to let that happen again. But then we see it sort of all over the world that when pe people believe in our culture today, that if you believe that you have a story that's true and everybody else is false, then that means that what you will end up doing is resorting to power and violence and oppression over the people that you disagree with. And so now we live in this, in this world of postmodernism where there's a huge suspicion of any sort of claim that somebody has the truth out there. And that if somebody has that, that's very bad and unhealthy. And so what we need, to, what this story says is, is there's, no there's no ultimate truth out there. Everybody gets to determine their own truth for themselves. Everybody's different and unique in the world. And isn't that true? I mean, everybody's unique and different. So everybody kind of has their own perspective. Everybody has their own truth. And who am I to look at somebody else's truth and say that, that, that's, you know, that that's, not, that's not truth? I mean, I can't do that. That would be unhealthy. That would be unfair. That would be bigoted. That would be that would be hate speech. We can't do that. And so what this gospel says is the best thing you can do for yourself is just discover who you are. Discover who you are. Just follow your feelings. You know, follow you know, whatever you feel like is, is you. And then salvation comes when you can live an authentic life and express that authenticity. And the worst thing that could happen is somebody coming into your, into your world saying, saying, no, 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 don't do Anybody that draws lines is, is, is no good in this view. The ironic thing about this, about this view is that it says that nobody, its, its main truth claim is that nobody can have truth claims. And its main doctrine is that nobody should have a doctrine. All right? Um, gospel B, or Gospel C is this. The Gospel C is probably the one that most of us are familiar in, especially because we live in Eugene. Um, gospel, gospel C is this, is the gospel of love and happiness. And basically what this one says is follow your heart, do what makes you happy, minus self-denial, because that's, that's not healthy, that's not good, and then all your dreams will come true. So this is, the, this is the one that we most often bump up against in our culture. It's this, it's kind of like, you know, and it sounds nice on the surface, like, yeah, just follow your heart and, you know, be nice to people and, 
But really, but really, like you kind of you get underneath it, and it's this sort of an, an addiction to feeling good, and it's addiction to you know, an, an addiction to following all of your feelings and desires, and so therefore, self denial in this gospel is a bad, bad thing. No, no, no. In fact, that's an unhealthy thing in this gospel. You don't want to, you don't have any self denial because that's pushing down who you really are. And and if God was really real, He would want you to be happy, and He'd want you to have, just have love in your life, right? I mean, isn't God? Doesn't it, isn't there a verse that says God is love, right? Oh, okay, so God must be all about love. The funny thing about that verse is it says that God is love, not love is God. But very different. But this gospel promises all your dreams will come true if you just follow your heart. Gospels, God, the last gospel is the gospel of works. And this says being good plus trying harder minus laziness and free rides equals being worthy. And this, everyone, is most world religions in the world. And it says, I mean, it, you know, God doesn't, God doesn't like a freeloader. Um, God helps those who, helps themselves, who help themselves, which isn't in the Bible, by the way. <laughs> and so this message says, you know what? If you're going to get God to love you, you got to try harder. you got to get to work. All right? got to work hard. And God will see it. And then finally you'll be a good person. And he'll see that. And then, you know, like at the end of your life, like Santa Claus, he'll see who's naughty and who's nice. And he'll see, like, who gets to heaven and who goes to hell. And, you know, and what God's really after is just moralistic behavior. And if you could just do that, then that means that you will earn your worth. And if you can't do that, then that means that you can't be a part of my, gr my group. Or that means that we're going to look down our nose at you or whatever it is. These are the four main gospels. When I look at our culture, I see these just sort of pervading our stories in all sorts of ways. And I want to just humbly submit to you that if you live under any of those gospels, you will mislive you'll tragically mislive if you live under any other of those gospels. And so for the next 10 weeks, we're starting something new. It's called 2020. Huh? Lots of churches have sermons. It's not new, guys, all right? We're not reinventing the wheel here. Um, but we're taking 10 weeks, and we just feel like how, how important is it for us to be able to see this story clearly Especially living in a culture where there's all these competing stories and all these different things that, you know, that seem like they're true on the surface. We need to have clear vision on what this story actually is and what the Christian story is. And so we're going to be spending 10 weeks on it. It's going to take us all the way up to Easter. We've got a bunch of small groups that have started that are going to be sort of discussing some of these topics just each and every week as we go. Um, and so I'm uh, super, super excited um, about starting this. And I just feel like I, I, oftentimes as the pastor, I feel like instead of calling myself a, a pastor, I've considered to changing my title to the chief story championer, championer and, uh, and reminderer director. That's what I feel like my story should be, all right? Pastor kind of, like, what does a pastor do? I don't know. I feel like what I often do on what we're doing here is we're reminding ourselves of the story and we're championing it and we're just bringing it deeper and deeper into our hearts. Um, so uh, listen, I, what I want to do is I just want to share, um, oddly enough, I want to share the gospel with you today. I just want to kind of tell you the story. The word gospel means good news. It's not good advice. What Christianity is not peddling to the world is some good advice to be good. We're doing something so much more significant, so much more deep than that. 
that it's the good news. And so I want to share the gospel with you this morning. And so there's kind of, there's all sorts of types of people in the room. But uh, to the people who are, you're here and you, you believe the gospel. And when I tell you that I'm going to share the gospel with you, it's an easy thing for you to be like, oh, okay, I know, I know that already. I know this. But I want, to for, I want to kind of compel you to ask a different question this morning just as I, as I share the gospel with you. I want you to ask a different question. Instead of asking, instead of asking, do I know this? I want you to ask, can I share this? See, that's a different question. See, this, this might be all stuff that you know, by the way, which you should, you know, if you've been around, you should know. If anybody ever shows up and says that they've got like a new, uh, you know, snazzy gospel to share, don't trust them, all right? The gospel doesn't change. The gospel is the good news. It always stays the same. And so be very suspicious of somebody that has a new gospel. I'm not sharing anything new with you. But if you're a believer in the good news of Jesus already, then I, instead of asking, you know, instead of you sitting here for the whole rest of the talk saying like, okay, I've heard that, I've heard that, sh shift your view a little bit and say, okay, I might know that, but can I share that? Like, do I have this kind of so, not memorized, but I can, do I have the story in a way where I can tell it in my own way different than the pastor might tell it on a Sunday, but I can tell it in my own way. And I can, and therefore, anytime somebody comes up, comes up to me and says, you know, hey, so you're like, you're a Jesus, you're like a church person, right? Like, you, um, I've got questions. Then, you, you, then right away, you can say, you know what? I've, let's talk about that. Let's go out after, after work. Drinks are on me. Like, are you prepared? Are you ready to be able to tell the story? That's what I want you to think about. The other group of people in here are people who, you, maybe, you've, maybe you've never heard the gospel. You've never heard the story. Or at least you've never heard it in a compelling way. Or you've, ne or you've heard it, but you know that the way that you heard it was a really sort of backwards, sort of ugly way, uh, a, an, an unfaithful way of telling the gospel. Maybe, I don't know what kind of church you grew up in or what sort of experience you have. But, hey, let's, let's all hear it with fresh ears this morning. And then we're going to take communion at the end of service. We're going to sing and we're going to respond um, to the message this morning. Uh, the Christian story uh, has like four different kind of main movements in the story, and it answers the deepest longings of the human heart. The biggest questions, the biggest questions that we have as humans, the gospel of Jesus Christ answers all of them. Uh, the first question is this. Here's this first longing, number one, this big question. Does anybody want me? This is one of the biggest pervasive questions that haunt human beings no matter where you are in the world, and no matter what century you were born in, it's the question, does anybody want me? Am I an accident or is there purpose for me? Do I belong somewhere? Does anybody really care about me? This is human, humanity's deepest, deepest longing. And if you believe, like the first gospel that I mentioned, the gospel of naturalism, if you believe that sort of, you know, everything came from nothing and, you know, everything is going nowhere, um, then you're going to have to mine your meaning out of the things that you can produce in this life. And you have a very short amount of time to do it. You're going to have to mine your meaning from your family. You're going to have to mine your meaning from your job. You're going to have to mine your meaning from all sorts of things. And no matter how good those things can be, those things will always disappoint. And those things at the end will always leave you dry because you can't squeeze me, expect that you're going to find your meaning out of your kids or out of your, you know, out of anything that we can produce in this life. And it just becomes something that is, uh, is exhausting for everyone and it will be exhausting for you. Um, and this is really, honestly, guys, this is why we have an opioid epidemic in our world. This is why we have a pornography epidemic. 
This is why suicide rates continue to climb. This is why depression rates continue to climb. Because people's lives are, are bumping, up, bumping up against the story that our culture tells us, which is, hey, you came from nothing. You just kind of have to find your own authentic life and you know, find your meaning here in this life. And people are bumping up against, they're just, they're just trying and they're trying and they're trying, but they're failing to find meaning in those things and it's leaving them dry. And so they think they'll find it in just forgetting. They think they'll find it in pornography. They think they'll find it um, in, in, you know, in all sorts of places. And our culture is just longing to get this question answered. Do I matter? Do I belong to anyone? Does somebody care, truly care about me outside of my performance? It's the question. And in steps the Christian story. And this is the beginning. It's creation. Our story is one of creation where God comes and creates humanity out of love, out of joy. He creates humanity because he loves us and wants a relationship with us. Now, some people look at Genesis, the very first book of the Bible, and they say, like, they're really skeptical of it. Because it's like, oh, the, the, the creation story in Genesis is really similar. Isn't it really similar? Or maybe you, you took a college class or your professor told you this, that those creation myths in the Bible are very similar to all other sort of ancient creation myths. There's tons of ancient creation myths out there, and the Christian one is just one of many others. And they're kind of all the same. No, they are not. They are not the same. Christian, the Christian creation story stands out in stark con contrast to all the other creation myths. And all the other ancient creation myths, like if you read Gilgamesh and, you know, and those, you know, the, those other ancient ones, you, uh, human beings are always born out of violence. There's always like a big cosmic battle between the gods or the demi demigods and then like blood spills out on the ground and then people spring up from the, the drops of blood. You know, like that, there's, that, that human beings are just sort of an accidental thing that comes about because of you know, these big power battles. All those other creation myths just continue to tell the story that we are not created with purpose, that we're created out of, you know, out accidentally. Also, all those other creation myths tell a story of, of human beings are created, but really the important ones are the ones that are born into the right family and the important ones are the rich ones and the important ones are the successful ones. But everybody else is, should be, is, is born to sort of serve the gods and serve the rich people and, you know, and, and serve you know, the important people and serve the successful people. That's what all the other creation myths say. But here comes Christianity. And not only does it say, not only does God look at humanity and say, I created you because I love you. I created you because I have purpose for you. Because I want to have a relationship with you. But also the, the Christian creation story steps onto the scene and says, Everyone has value because they are created in the image of God. Every single human being has value. Not because of their performance and not because of the home they were raised in and not because of the, the family line they were born into. But every human being, rich, poor, black, white, born, unborn, even enemy, even your enemies are made in the image of God. And this is where Jesus steps onto the scene later and says, hey, listen, if you're going to follow me, here's one of the hard things I'm going to ask you to do. I want you to love your enemies. And that's going to be impossible for you and for me unless we have this underneath, underneath everything that we understand that even our enemies have value. They're created in the image of God. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the basis for human rights in our world. 
You cannot get human rights if you believe in a gospel of naturalism that says everything's an accident and here we are and like the strong eat the weak and you know at the end none of it's going to matter anyways. You can't get human rights from there. And yet everybody walks around the world knowing that humans have value. Where do they get that? It's because. It's because they know that it's true because it is true because God said it should be so. And we walk around with it. Even if your worldview can't explain it, the Christian worldview explains it perfectly. God created everyone in his image. And the Christian story answers the question, do I matter to anyone? God says, yes, yes, you matter to me. Even though God creates all these things and it's beautiful and wonderful, there's like a sense that there's a problem. There's a sense that there's like not all is right with the world. Something has gone wrong. And the second question of longing that human beings have always struggled with is this question is, in spite of all I've done, does anybody still want me? In spite of my brokenness, in spite of my past, in spite of whatever's wrong with me, will somebody still want me? This is the big longing that, the, that, that people are asking and Christianity answers it. Theologians call this thing, the sense that we get that's wrong is called the fall. It's when God creates this good world, but humans, they say, you know what, God, I don't think I want you to, I don't want to put you at the center of my life. So I'm going to put something else at the center of my life. Most of the time, just myself. I want to be in charge. I don't want you to be in charge. And that's what Adam and Eve did at the very beginning. And that's what we still are wrestling with in our day, that God created this beautiful world. But also there's tragedy in our world. There's, there's horror, horrific things that happen. And it's, and it's important for us to struggle with that and, t- and ask questions about that. But really the answer about in, in all that is that, yes, God created this world, but it is fractured. It, there is something wrong with it. And what's wrong with it is that we have, as human beings, every single one of us, have, chosen to put, have often chosen to put other things at the center of our lives. And things don't go well when we do that because we were created to operate with God at the center. One of my favorite movies is, is mostly because I love Tom Hardy um, is this movie called Lawless. And it's about these like, you know, moonshine bootleggers in the South. I love this movie. Um, and uh, I'm, I'm not recommending it to everyone in the room, okay? I'm just... Um, and, and there's this point in the movie where they're driving somewhere in this car and they run out of gas and they're like, oh, no, no gas. But they have moonshine in the back. And so they put moonshine in because they, they got to get to where they're going. And it actually, it gets going for a little bit. But then you know what happens, right? It starts sputtering and it just, and it stops. Because the engine's not made to run off of that. And your life is not made to run off of yourself. You can't. And so God says, listen, if you put other things in, in, in the center, then things will decay. Things will break down. And that's what we call sin. Sin is when we just put other things in the center and sin hurts us and sin destroys us and it causes an enormous amount of guilt and shame. Guilt is knowing that you did something wrong and shame means that you know that something's wrong with you and God says, yes, both of those things are true about all of us. I know we live in a culture that says, no, shame is bad, guilt, no, 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 I'm not guilty, we shouldn't feel shameful. But the Bible steps into the, steps onto the, and, and shows us and, and the Christian story shows us that, no, I, I am guilty. There, there is shame in me because I, I know that there's something broken and wrong. And that's where the story starts. Because if you, if, you don't, if you can't admit that there's something broken, then if you can't admit that there's a disease, then you won't look for the cure. You just won't. And this is why Jesus walked around everywhere he went. And the people that knew that they needed him got him. And the people that didn't think they needed him missed him. Did you get that? 
The people that knew they needed him, they got him. But the people that didn't think they needed him, they completely missed him. Jesus steps onto the scene and says, listen, blessed are the poor in spirit. But if we were honest, we all have to admit that we all think we're middle class in spirit. We think we're pretty good, especially compared to other people. If we want, see, guys, this is, this is huge because people think that sin, when, when the Christians talk about sin, that we're just talking about like not doing naughty things. And okay, fine, that's a part of sin. Don't do naughty things, okay? It'll hurt your life. But that's not the, that's not the point. What we have to, what, what Christianity says, what our story says is that, is that it's so much deeper than that. That really the, the motivation of the human heart doesn't necessarily always lean towards rebelliousness, but it, le- it leans to self-righteousness. That this is what we're mostly good at. We're mostly good at self-righteousness and, you know, patting ourselves and making us feel like it's okay. And thinking, you know, that every, everybody else is the problem and the government's the problem and those people are the problem. But, oh, it's not me. But the Christian story won't let you get away with that. It points the finger right at me and right at you and says, no, 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 you're the problem. There's a brokenness inside of you. And usually our problem is self-righteousness. And Christianity is the only religion that I know that comes in and says, not only do you need to repent of like wrong things that you do, but you need to also repent for, all, for the reasons why you do the right things. Because oftentimes we're doing, these, we're doing these religious acts and we think we're doing these right things, but we're doing them for all the wrong motives. We do them because we're trying to work, we're trying to earn it, we're trying to, we feel like God's going to like me better if I do all this stuff. And in the end, it actually leads me away from the grace and the truth of, of Jesus that he wants to offer this is significant. When Christians say repent, you got to know that we're, we're calling everyone to repent. This is the story of the prodigal sons. There's two sons, not just one. And there's one son that's lost in his rebelliousness, but there's another son that's lost in his religiosity. He's lost in his goodness. He's in the field while his brother is off, you know, just, you know spending his living. And the older brother's in the field and he's like, why aren't I getting a feast? What about me, God? I'm doing all the right things here, God, and like, how come you're not noticing me? And his heart is just as blackened and broken as the younger brother that's lost in his rebelliousness. What I love about that story is that God, the father in that story, has to, has to run out to both sons. The father runs down the road to the son that's coming back who's lost in his rebelliousness, But then the father has to go out into the field where the older brother is because the older brother refuses to come into the party. He's just frustrated that there's a party being held for his rebellious younger brother and he just won't have it. No, we don't throw parties for bad people. Parties are for good people. And his father has to come out and say, listen, I'm throwing a party for everyone. I'm here for him and I'm here for you. And the Christian story says, even though we're flawed and broken and our world just wreaks the the consequences of it all the time, you are still accepted and loved. And that leads to the third movement of the story, um, which is this. The third movement is the good news. God has actually done something about it. He's provided a way out. He's come to save us. The question number three, the deep longing is this. Is there a way back home? Is there a way back home? And the Christian story says, yes. Yes, there's a way back home. It's the story of redemption. Redemption. The Bible talks about how we are spiritually, we don't just need like, you know, better behaviors, but we're actually spiritually dead. We're spiritually dead on the inside. Paul talks about this in Ephesians 2 and in all sorts of other places where our problem is that we don't just need like, you know, things to prop us up. 
you know? Um, we don't just need a rope to get us out of a hole. What's a dead guy going to do with a rope? What's a dead guy going to do with advice? A dead person can't use advice or use a rope because a dead person, is, that's not going to help them. What a dead person needs, what you and I need, is we need something bigger than that. We need resurrection. We need new birth. We need new life. What Jesus talks to Nicodemus about in, in John chapter 3, he says, listen, you need to be born again. You need something. You need, to, you need a new life than what you have already. And it's what you and I need. And Jesus paved the way for us to have new life. That's why Jesus comes and he takes on flesh. He lives as we are. He, he experiences living as a human being like we do. And then in the craziest turn of events, he does the most unexpected thing that you think a king coming to save people would ever do. He allows himself to get hoisted up onto a Roman torture device. And he dies. And what is he doing there? He's taking on all of the world's shame. He's taking on all of the world's guilt. He is innocent, and yet he is choosing to bring it all onto himself. And I can't even, like, describe, it would take, it would, it would, take forever. I mean, it was, it's, theologians are still figuring out, trying to, how to talk about what happened when Jesus took all of our sin on himself, and then he's crucified. And it's like, and it's like he bears those things so that those things can kind of get canceled out. And then it gets even crazier because three days later, he rises again so that we can have new life, so that we could have resurrected lives. This is the good news. This is the way out. Christian, the Christian story says you can't do it on your own. All you have to do is, all you get to do is receive this gift that God gave us, that Jesus gave us on the cross. And, uh, and this begins a brand new life. Resurrecting us from our spiritual death, death, he gives us new hearts that are filled with the Holy Spirit. And this is the, this is the process of what's called sanctification. It means that we don't get transformed necessarily right away. That means you could be a Christian who you came from a jacked up home and you're jacked up emotionally. But you meet Jesus and you give your life over to him. The Holy Spirit comes into your life and takes up residence into your life and begins the process of partnering with you and walking with you and transforming you. But the Holy Spirit doesn't always wave a wand over you and just change everything about all of your emotions and make you, you know, healthy as far as the way that you, you view sex and the way that you view other things. The wand doesn't, it doesn't necessarily happen that way. It happens in a process. And this is one of the reasons why sometimes people push away from Christianity because they don't understand this. They think that Christianity is a gospel of good works, that we're, that, that we're calling people just to be good. And so therefore, when they meet a Christian who isn't that good, but they meet like a Muslim person or a Buddhist person who seems much gooder, they think Christianity is bogus. It's like, wait, I thought, I thought it was supposed to make them good. But listen, Christianity isn't a gospel of goodness. It's the, it's the radical, crazy, scandalous good news that God has come and saved people who do not deserve it. And then he goes to work transforming us. It's the process of sanctification. So you might be somebody who's good and has some good things, but you might be doing it for all the, right, all the wrong reasons. And you might look gooder than maybe another Christian, but here's this other Christian and they've made Jesus their Lord and King and the Holy Spirit is at work in them, transforming them, renewing them. It might take some time. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be this process, but God is faithful to complete the work that he starts. This is the, God, this is the message of the good news, that there is a way out. He's saved us. He's rescued us, but also you're not alone. You have the Holy Spirit in you. He's given it to you, and he wants to work with you. He wants to transform you. 
He wants to make you renewed every single day for the rest of your life. And then this begins the process of reordering our desires. Reordering our desires. St. Augustine, this is his big thing about the gospel. He says, when you follow Jesus, he's going to make, he's going to make the order of your desires fit where they should be. Because should you, is it okay to love your job? Absolutely. I hope you love your job. Just don't love your job above your kids. That'll destroy your family. And should you love your kids? Absolutely. Should you love your family? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. But don't love your family more than you love God. Because if you do that, then you will destroy your family. Because you'll try to get all your significance from your family. And you'll try to squeeze happiness out of your wife. And you'll try to squeeze happiness out of your husband. you try to squeeze happiness out of your kids. You're going to try to get meaning out of all of those relationships. And you're gonna, in the end, you're going to destroy them. And so St. Augustine says, rightly order your life and put God first and all the rest. Figure out where all those other things fit. You know what that means? That means that you can't just follow your heart. It means you can't just follow your, you know, follow your desires and just do what makes you happy. This is what Christianity will do. It will start to transform you. You'll start to learn what self-denial looks like. And that's so incredibly important. Because when our culture says, hey, follow your desires and follow your dreams and do what makes you happy, that sounds very freeing. It sounds very liberating. And it feels very liberating for a while. But then it turns into slavery. Because now you only can follow your feelings. And you can only follow your heart. And that will lead, always leads, to bad decisions and destruction. But the Holy Spirit comes into the life of a Christian and says, I'm going to be at work now in you, transforming your desires, making you new. So therefore, this brings us back to the passage of Scripture that Kristen read at the very beginning. And let me just read it to you again. Because she read it, and I know it kind of like blazed right through it. But can we just read it again, just together, in light of everything I just talked about? Let's read from Titus, Titus chapter 3. At one time... We too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice, or you could say we mislived. We mislived. We mislived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But, but when the kindness and the love of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us. Not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out, who he, whom he poured out on us generously through Christ Jesus, our Savior, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having hope of eternal life. If you want to memorize a verse, that's a verse to memorize. What's our response? Well, our response to that, if all of this is true, if this really is the story we're living in, our response is repentance. It's just saying, Lord, I've believed other stories, and I, wanna, I don't want to anymore. I want to believe this one. It's faith, and it's journeying with the Holy Spirit together as individuals and as a community. Guys, this is the best news ever. He gives us new desires. He partners with us in his mission to make all things new, not as slaves, but as friends. And then he sets us up on the earth to carry out his mission as friends and as co-heirs and as brothers and as sisters and as sons and daughters. That is good news. I feel like I'm preaching good this morning. This is good. Okay, come on, thanks. <laughs> Stop it, come on. It's okay. All right. The last longing is this. It's the, deep, the deepest longing question is, 
is everything going to be all right? When it's all said and done, is everything going to be all right? And this is the fourth part of the Christian story. It's the story of, it's the story of restoration. That all things will be made new. That through us, God is bringing his kingdom that will ultimately bring this present world as it is. It's filled with beautiful things, but it's also filled with tragic things. It's filled with laughter and it's filled with tears. But ultimately, God is going to, there's going to be a graduation day. And that God's going to do something on this planet where all things are going to be made right again. That even the, the tragic things that we experience in our lives, that there's going to come a moment someday where we... Where not that God made all those things happen to teach us a lesson. No, no. But there's going to come a day when all of our tears are going to turn to joy. And all of our grief is going to turn to laughter. And he's going to make all things new again. And that is good news. We need that. We need that. That's the great hope that we have. Um, God creates us. And he answers the question, I want you. You matter. I care. And then the fall happens. This world's broken. This world isn't how God created it to be. And it's because of us. And we should feel guilt and shame for it. And that's where it starts. We have to acknowledge that I, had a hand, I have a hand to play with it, to play in it. And so therefore, I need a rescuer. Or I need a savior. And then that's where, that's where the next one, could, that's where redemption comes in. That's where God says, listen, in spite of all you've done, I still want you. And there is a way for you to come back home. And then that leads to restoration. All things made new in its time. That's the story that we live in.